Hello, my friends, and welcome again to the Bible Lab, the podcast where we explore major themes from every book of the Bible in order to see how each page points us to Jesus. I'm your host, Andy Wood. Thank you so much for joining me. Friends, today we're beginning a seven-part series on the Gospel of Matthew. So before we jump into our introduction and our first theme, just a couple of things to remind you of slash encourage you to do. Uh, the first would be this. We're going to be talking about the Gospels. Now, obviously, all of Scripture was set in an original cultural historical context, but the Gospels in particular, I would encourage you guys to go back and listen to episodes 20 and 21 of this podcast series where we looked at the historical and cultural context that lead us into the Gospels. I think it would be really helpful not only as you listen to this podcast, but as you read through the Gospel of Matthew, because of course that's what the intention and the heart behind this podcast is. It's to be walking alongside you as you yourself are reading through the Scriptures. So would encourage you guys to listen to that. Both those episodes and today's episode come from the book that I often recommend to you guys. It's called What the New Testament Authors Really Cared About. So I would encourage you guys to go and pick that up. I would also encourage you guys, if you haven't yet done it, uh, to go and rate us or leave a comment on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wh wherever you listen. It's helpful uh, to get the word out about the show. On the subject of getting the word out about the show, if you guys have any kind of social media platforms that you guys use, would love for you guys. would be honored if you guys would share us with your friends and with your family. So without any further ado, let's jump right in. As always, we want to orient ourselves. Let's get a handle on where we are in history. Now, this is going to blow your mind, uh, but Jesus was probably born around 5 BC. Yes, that's right. He was born five years before he was born. This dating system obviously didn't start. It's not as if everybody's calendar turned over the next day that Jesus was born and they saw you know, 1 AD, and they're like, what, what's going on? Who is this AD? Now, this is obviously something that came along much later. And unfortunately, several hundred years after this system came into play, somebody went back and, you know, did some quick math in the back of a napkin somewhere and realized that we'd kind of missed our bearings on when we think Jesus was born. But by that point, it was far too late. So though the dating system of BC and AD is intended to pivot on the birth of Christ, Jesus was probably born somewhere between 4 and 6 B.C. Now, John the Baptist is Jesus's older cousin. So John the Baptist was born wherever you want to pick. If Jesus was born in 5, Jesus, John the Baptist was born in 6, for example. Uh, Jesus's family flees to Egypt very early on and then returns to Nazareth a few years later. We know that when Jesus was 12, the only story we have about his childhood we get in the Gospel of Luke he goes and speaks with the teachers in the Jerusalem temple. We know that Jesus spends almost all of his life between his birth, that one story from age 12, until his public ministry begins at around age 30. He's spending all of his life as an obscure carpenter working in Nazareth. John the Baptist begins his ministry sometime around AD 29. And then Jesus begins about a year later in AD 30. And it's early on in his ministry that he calls a tax collector named Matthew to become his disciple. And so Matthew, the, the author of this gospel, is one of Jesus's earliest followers, one of the 12 apostles appointed by Jesus to be a pillar and foundation of the church. We know that Jesus was crucified and resurrected sometime around AD 33. And Matthew's gospel, and we think, from as far as we can tell from church tradition, Matthew spent most of the rest of his life in and around Palestine, modern-day Israel, and we think that it's sometime around AD 55 to 65 that Matthew wrote his gospel. Now, the big event 
beyond Jesus' death and resurrection, obviously, the, another, the next big event in world history will be the destruction of the Jerusalem temple in AD 70. And as best we can tell, Matthew wrote this gospel before that date. So who wrote it? Matthew, the tax collector. And he was likely writing to Jews either considering Christ or Jews who had already trusted Christ and were considering going back to Judaism. So very similar to the purposes of the gospel or of the letter to the Hebrews that we'll talk about in our next series. So we get this story in Mark chapter 2. He, Jesus, went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. So this Levi is Matthew, a tax collector who followed Jesus. So Matthew, like we said, he wrote this probably in the late 50s, early 60s AD. He was probably in Palestine, modern-day Israel, when he wrote it. Why did Matthew write this gospel? Well, he wrote to identify, promote, and defend Jesus of Nazareth as the, as the Davidic Messiah who fulfilled the Old Testament. So Matthew is a gospel, as they all are, truly. But Matthew is a gospel absolutely steeped in the Old Testament. So remember, he's writing to Jews who are considering leaving Judaism and coming to Christianity or who have already done so and are being tempted to go back. And so Matthew wants to show you there is no going back. Jesus is the Davidic Messiah, and there is no one else coming, and he is the one who fulfills the Old Testament. And Matthew wrote this story so that his followers could know the story of their Lord. We can see Jesus in all of his beauty, in all of his humanity, in all of his divinity. We can know this story. We can follow him more obediently and make disciples as he has called us all to do. So our first theme for consideration in the Gospel of Matthew is that Matthew desired to call everyone to repentance. Now, John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, was given a special role. He is to prepare the way for Jesus in all four Gospels. One of the things that makes John so important is that he is preparing the way for the coming of the Lord by calling Israel to repentance. John's message was simple. Repent, Matthew 3, 2 says, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John dressed like an Old Testament prophet, right? He had the camel hair cloak and leather belt, eating locusts and honey, living out in the wilderness, very much in the spirit of Elijah. But John not only dressed the part of an Old Testament prophet, he spoke like an Old Testament prophet. He was inspired by the Holy Spirit to call the nation of Israel to repent so that they could turn back to their true king and God. And this call for repentance that John began, Jesus continued. In fact, after John was arrested, Matthew 4, 17 says from that time, after John's arrest, Jesus began to preach saying, guess what? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So Jesus doesn't show up and say, whew, sorry about my cousin John. He got a little out of hand with that repentance talk. No, Jesus picks up that mantle and keeps preaching a message of repentance. So what did John and Jesus mean when they called the Jewish people to repent? Well, repentance involves four things. It means, obviously, turning away from sin. So they are to repent of their sinful thoughts, words, behaviors, actions. They are to turn away. But remember, when you repent, you just can't turn away from sin. You've got to turn back to God. So repentance involves turning from sin and recommitting to faithfulness and loyalty to God above all else, above your family, above your job, above everything. And repentance involves committing to a lifestyle of fruitful service to God. Matthew 3, 8, John says, bear fruit 
in keeping with repentance. So repentance means not only I'm going to endeavor to stop sinning, but I'm also going to endeavor to bear fruit of righteousness. And repentance means in John's context and in ours, a change in one's thinking. So John is speaking to Jews and they were resting their eternal security on their ethnic identity. Since they are ethnically and genetically descended from Abraham, we're good. And John says, no, you've got to stop thinking like that. Your security, first century hearer and 21st century hearer, is not in your ethnic identity. It's not in your bank account. It's not in church attendance. It's not in you know, your faithfulness to your Bible reading plan. Your security is in your relationship with God. John says to his Jewish audience, do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit, that's that fruit in keeping with repentance, is cut down and thrown into the fire. Now all of the synoptic gospels, by synoptic I mean Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the three gospels that see Jesus together from kind of the same perspective, they show Jesus endorsing John the Baptist's call to repentance, not only in picking up the message, but in also being baptized. So Jesus' baptism by John demonstrates four things for us. First, it demonstrates the humility that Jesus wants to see in his followers. Remember what John said to Jesus when Jesus went down to be baptized. John said, um, I shouldn't be baptizing you. You should be baptizing me. And of course, John's right. But Jesus humbles himself by allowing a sinful man to baptize him, even though Jesus was without sin. And that's the kind of humility that Jesus wants to see. Jesus' baptism by John also demonstrates the obedience that Jesus wants from his followers. So Jesus is going to tell us to be baptized and to go and baptize. And so Jesus models that for us. He himself is going to submit to baptism. The third thing that Jesus' baptism demonstrates is the holiness that God wanted to see among his followers. Remember that baptism has many meanings. There's a lot that's being symbolized and being communicated through baptism. But we are right to see baptism as a symbol of being washed by the waters of regeneration, washed and made clean. And so baptism symbolizes a death to an old way of living and a rebirth to a new way of life. So it symbolizes or it demonstrates the humility that Jesus wants, obedience that Jesus wants, the holiness that Jesus wants. But a fourth thing that we perhaps don't often think about, it demonstrates the awareness of judgment that Jesus wants. The reason we need to be baptized, the reason that baptism symbolizes dying and then being reborn is that our sin is leading us to death. And the sin of the world is leading God to come in judgment against this world. And so Jesus wants us to think and live and move in awareness of the fact that we have been spared from the judgment of God by the blood of Jesus. And that should make us grateful and joyful and just absolutely delighted in Jesus. But it should also give us a desire to go out and preach this message of repentance to our friends and family and neighbors. And friends, when Jesus went out and preached, gosh, guys, there's just so many misconceptions about Jesus. So please read the Gospels for yourself. When Jesus went out and preached, friends, Jesus would have been characterized as a hellfire and brimstone preacher. He talked more about judgment and hell than anybody else in the Bible. Here's just a sampling. In Matthew 11:20 20 through 21, it says, Then he, Jesus, began to denounce 
the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. Those are two cities that Jesus preached in. So woe, W-O-E, is an announcement of divine judgment against a place, right? This is saying you are in trouble. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. Why? Why are they in trouble? Because if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, these are two ancient historical pagan cities, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. And then in Matthew 12, 41, Jesus says, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they, those ancient Assyrians, repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. So Jesus wants us to be aware of judgment. He wants us to preach about judgment. He wants us to go out and all of this is being symbolized in baptism. We are under the judgment of God, but in Christ, we have died with Christ and been raised to walk in newness of life. And now we go out and warn our friends and family and neighbors about judgment. Now, this renewed emphasis on holiness and obedience was predicted in the Old Testament. The the prophet said, when the Messiah comes, he will demonstrate and make possible and preach about holiness and obedience. So here's just a sampling, Ezekiel 11, 18 through 21. And when they come there, they will remove from all its detestable things and all its abominations. And I will give them one heart. So he's talking about in the new covenant, God says, I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I'll remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes. Did you hear that? Why is God going to save us? Why is God going to give us a new heart? Purpose clause, that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. But as for those whose heart goes after their detestable things and their abominations, I will bring their deeds upon their own heads, declares the Lord God. In Zechariah 14, 21, And every pot in Jerusalem and Judah shall be holy to the Lord of hosts. Now that's a really weird phrase. What Zechariah is saying, in the new covenant era, God's people will be entirely consecrated to him. Even down to our dishes and our shoes and our blankets, everything about our life, from A to Z, from head to toe, from beginning to end, everything shall be holy to the Lord of hosts. This is what God wants to see. And this is what Jesus came to make possible. And it begins in us with repentance. But friends, for Christians, repentance is not a one-time thing. We know that until we see Jesus face to face, we are constantly sinning and therefore we are in constant need of repentance. So be repentant every day. Ask God to search you and examine you, show you the sins that you have been committing, maybe ones that you didn't even realize were becoming a habit in your life. Every day, lay your life on the altar before the Lord and say, show me where I'm falling short. Let me repent And friends, let's be honest, God often chooses to show us areas in our life that need work, that need to see repentance through the words of someone else. Someone else might call you out on your sin today and be tenderhearted. Listen to them. Take their words before the Lord and say, is this true? And if it is, repent and thank that person who loved you enough to call you out on your sin so that you can repent and have fellowship with the Lord once again. So friends, calling on someone to repent and turn their entire life upside down is a pretty big claim. And so our next theme and our next episode, Lord willing, we're going to see how Matthew wants to show us that Jesus is the Davidic Messiah who has the right 
to call his people to repent. But until then, take up and read, my friends. God bless.